listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Good, good. Uh, Uh, Listen, Mickey, I'd like to start this week with a little news quiz for you. Okay. Now, questions um, are going to get harder as they go along, so I hope you I hope you handle this first one okay. All right. So, can you either uh, name this person or give me this person's uh, job description? Uh, he's either a random Twitter head or it's Zelensky, the head of Ukraine. Correct. It's Zelensky, the head of Ukraine. Now, here's another person. Can you either name me name him or give me his job description? Ooh, he's a tough one. He looks Russian. You got it. Keep going. But but uh is that is that the is that the uh, Wagner group guy? You got it. Prigozhin, you're two for okay. two. You're cooking. Now okay. the big question is which one this week accused the other one of lying? And what was the specific allegation? Uh Zelensky accused Progrobin of lying when he said that the Ukrainian counteroffensive had started. It has not started. We're going to take off two points for that. One, for getting Prigozhin's name wrong and calling it whatever you called it. And, I thought that's uh, what I called it. And you were, you were close. I mean, maybe you even got mixed up and meant well, but, but it was Prigozhin accused Zelensky of lying by saying the offensive would not start for a while. Okay. So Zelensky, well, they, they had a back and forth. <laughs> you, you are correct, sir. Actually, no, I don't think Zelensky commented on him at all. But Zelensky said only a couple. Oh, of days. Zelensky did have a comment, I think, today. Oh, did he on Prigozhin? Well, maybe you're ahead of me. But anyway, no, the way on the counteroffensive, he said the counteroffensive hasn't started. I think. Well, he said this a couple. Of, here's what he said a couple of days ago. He said, "With what we already have, we could go forward. I think, and maybe be successful, but we'd lose a lot of people. I think that's unacceptable. So we need to wait." Now, about a nanosecond later, Ukraine launched a counteroffensive, at least in the Bakhmut area, a serious new thing. And Prigozhin said, Zelensky is lying. The offensive is fully underway. And it's, it's actually true that there have been significant gains by Ukraine on both the northern and southern flanks, not in the city itself, where, in fact, uh, Russian very incremental progress may continue, but, you know, multiple square miles on the flanks. And here's what Prigozhin was saying today. He's basically saying, you know, his guys, Wagner, they're still doing okay within the city, given the fact that, as he frequently complains, they're not getting any ammunition. But he says the regular Russian troops on the flanks are chickening out. Here's what he says. We've got about 20 buildings left, and then Bakhmut will be fully taken. Uh, but the taking of Bakhmut gives the Russian Federation nothing because the flanks are crumbling and the front is failing. And the defense ministry's attempt to smooth over the situation somehow in the media are leading and will lead to tragedy for Russia. So stop lying immediately. If you've run away, set up new lines of defenses. But what you've trained for, blah, blah, blah. Oh, he's, uh, the people holding the defense are, quote, nobodies. And so what has been happening recently, what I've been warning about for a long time is coming to pass, and it's leading to a great tragedy for our country. But I, this guy expected Ukraine to be honest about where they were going to attack. Like, yes, Hitler, we will attack in Normandy. 
We're we're people of our word. There's, gonna... a co- there's a code of honor that Prigozhin right. himself has lived by. He's never told a falsehood, so far as I know. Uh, and uh, understandably, you know, he just expects his. No, I the I I, he, I don't think he was uh, accusing Zelensky so much. It was you know he was just saying don't believe it, folks. But the two interesting things here. Let's leave the battlefield situation aside, which is interesting. Um, it's just the the extent of the shit blinging by Prigozhin over the last few days. I mean, you know, he uh, May 9th was Victory Day. Putin, you know, had it's a huge Russian thing commemorating the end of World War II. Putin had a very muted version of the celebration, and there's a whole bunch of criminology you could do about that. But uh, almost throughout it. Prigozhin, the day before, the day after, Prigozhin was screaming about, you know, slandering people at the highest levels of the Russian military. In fact, he was mistaken for slandering Putin because he wasn't like naming the people. Like, who did he call an old grandpa? And he hastened to clarify that Putin was not the old grandpa, but still uh, that he was he was basically talking about this guy, Gerasimov, who, who who's the commanding general of the whole operation. Um, but it leads me, I mean, the, I mean, first of all, it's just, you know, Putin doesn't want this degree of dissent right around Victory Day. So it's just interesting that Prigozhin feels compelled to do it. Now, he's under pressure because the understanding had been he was going to take Bakhmut by Victory Day. I think they'd even said that publicly. He was failing and naturally wanted to blame people for not sending him enough ammunition. But it does lead me to believe, I mean, how freaked out he, he has seemed this week in conjunction with the fact that progress in Bakhmut had slowed to a crawl leads me to wonder whether, um, although this isn't the big offensive, right? I mean, uh, most people think at most this is a so-called fixing action and the, the true offensive, presumably down south, will unfold later. Um, it could be that Ukraine feels that they can actually surround Bakhmut and force a retreat, which would be just incredibly humiliating for Russia. I mean, that would be a really bad way to start off this offensive from, from Russia's point of view. So if, if, if Putin was the, as, as vicious a dictator as we think, or as he might like to be, would, how would he tolerate, he, this Wagner guy has been saying this stuff for months. Uh, how, why is he tolerated? Well, for starters, I think Prigozhin is still in, in in Ukraine near the battlefront, and it may just think, "Look, if Putin wants to come and get me here, good luck." But <laughs> I, I think for it may be, uh, maybe that he's a hothead. Okay, it may be, and he will regret it. It may be that Wagner is so important at this point that he doesn't think uh, Putin can afford to mess with him. But I got to think it's getting to the point where he's playing with with fire. I mean, he threatened, he said he was going to pull his troops out of Bakhmut a few days ago. And it's certainly true that if he did that, it would be super bad for Russia. But so I don't know. That's what I mean. That's why this is fascinating to me. This is, I mean, you start wondering whether these could be actual cracks, not in the regime per se, but, you know, the, 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 the foreshadowing of actual cracks. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it doesn't look that great. Uh, anyway, other stuff well, is happening that, today. Because pre- previously, previously your analysis was uh, that uh, things look bad for Ukraine. 
in the long term because Russia had so many more troops they could throw and weren't there some documents that were leaked a couple of weeks ago that seems to suggest that the U.S. analysis yeah. was that it looked bad for Ukraine? Well, I think the conventional wisdom is still that this offensive will not succeed in severing the land corridor to Crimea from Russia that was established by the Russian invasion. I think that's still pretty much the conventional wisdom. Russia just has tons of entrenchments down south. Uh, Michael Kaufman, kind of the go-to guy, says he's pretty sure that he thinks probably Ukraine will breach the first line, but there are several well-established lines of defense uh, between, and, and Russia has evacuated cities in the northern part of the southern region, yeah. suggesting, you know, that there, uh, I, well, suggesting that there's going to be some action there. Um, uh, you rely on Kaufman. I rely on the prestigious Institute for the Study of War <laughs> for their objective analysis. As I told you last week, they, they, they suffered grave humiliation at the hands of, among others, Michael Kaufman. I, I, uh, and on, I mean, he didn't, he didn't. He just kind of he just kind of gave his vote of confidence to a, a, a pretty scathing critique of them. But um, so the other thing is, I mean, there there have been like there was a big, uh, pretty long range missile attack on Luhansk, which is within Russian held territory. Um, I heard there was something blowing up in Melitopol, which is if they if they got there in the offensive, that would be a significant accomplishment. That's down south. Um, and in any event. Uh, Ukraine is getting apparently these long-range missiles uh, from Britain that can be fired from MiGs that have been adapted for the purpose. Uh, so those are about as long as the ones Ukraine apparently hasn't been able to get from the U.S. You know, I had How said- How far do they it, reach? Uh, more than 150 miles. I, I've heard 180. Uh, the, the, I think what they've got now is still under 100. And uh, so, you know, I had said- <laughs> You know, if they get if they're getting like whole new weapon systems and so on, you know, it could change the equation in terms of what they can do with this offensive. This is certainly, from their point of view, good news. Um, they can't reach Moscow. Well, I don't know how far Moscow is from the border. I don't think that's their goal anyway. But remember, they are on they are on jets. So you've got whatever the range of the jet, however far the jet can get, plus the range right. of the missile. These are not okay. ground fired. Okay. Um. So uh, it's so, look, probably Zelensky was right, and the true offensive won't unfold for weeks. But there's more action right now than anybody thought there would be 48 right. hours ago. Meanwhile, Jake Sullivan is secretly meeting with Chinese. I forget where Vienna, maybe someplace like that. And uh, that that's part of a general thaw in U.S.-China relations, which was obviously stalled by this spy balloon, which delayed things. Uh, and that has to be also in part directed at uh, welcoming China in as a potential peacemaker or a co-peacemaker. That seems like the biggest development, maybe the second biggest development. Yeah, there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal some days ago about how about that, about the U.S. wanting to cultivate China as a, you know, a partner in the peacemaking process. And that's obviously the right thing to do, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I, well, I think so. Yeah, I mean, there are people who don't want to see peace yet because they want to see uh, Russia, you know, evicted from all of the territory and, and don't think that that's too risky. I mean, uh, you know, Jeffrey Goldberg and Ann Applebaum, as you know, uh, took Lorene Powell Jobs and a 
personal trip to uh, Ukraine and they got an audience with Zelensky and and then they wrote a thing in the Atlantic. I think I haven't read it, but I think saying, you know, leave no square inch of territory in Russian hands, probably. Um, they didn't want to march on Moscow. They profess not to. They profess that's, not to. That's a sidebar. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. I don't think I don't <laughs> think I, I think they actually don't want to. But, you know, the question is, at what point uh, will will Putin start to consider this existential, even just from the point of view of his regime's survival? You know, that's when things could get. I see. Right. So we'll that see. was my problem with that demand. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, so that's. Um, well, I, there was this one weird suggestion on the right that uh, it seemed implausible. Well, I want to get your opinion on it, which is that one of the things that enraged Putin and may have prompted his invasion is the whole Russiagate thing and the dossier and the whole, you know, our, us saying that Russia in sort of, uh, you know, fiddled with our election more than maybe they actually did uh, and the P tape and all that stuff. And maybe that pissed him off. It never occurred to me that that pissed him off. I would he, think invaded, it would he invaded Ukraine over the P tape? No, not quite that. But one of the things, one of the reasons that he may be annoyed is that our U.S. official posture of, of our, certainly of our security agencies was that uh, Russia had done this thing, which maybe they hadn't done. Well, I think what would drive him crazy about that is that he thinks of us as having done worse in 2014 and, in effect, uh, sponsored a coup in Ukraine. So so he certainly, whenever he hears anything like that, I'm sure his hypocrisy intended to go off. And, uh, you know, I don't think that was nearly decisive. I think there's, I I mean, honestly, I think. Yeah, no, I just, I I hadn't even thought it contributed. I hadn't even thought it would even have contributed. It's a harmonic convergence of Tucker Carlson themes. It's funny, just quickly, the way the, the psychology of these things work in, like in the in, in America, in the American official opinion ecosystem, is, you know, it, Michael Kaufman. He's mainly just a military analyst, but somebody pointed me to uh, an analysis he had done back before Putin invaded, explaining why Putin was going to invade. And it was very Mearsheimer-esque. It was like, you know, he views this as a threat. He views that as a threat. He views that. It was all about Russia's national security interests and how the Minsk Accords, you know, the the West hadn't delivered on them. He had lost faith in that, this and that, and this and that. It's the kind of thing I'd be saying. And then uh, it turned out um, that, you know, somebody since the invasion and the official prohibition on saying things like that has taken effect. Some, uh, the same person pointed me to a thing on C-SPAN, Kaufman's on C-SPAN. And uh, I guess it was some caller had blamed NATO expansion or something. And Kaufman says, uh, no, it was just, uh, it, was, it was an imperialistic adventure or something like that. Completely, completely at odds with his pre-war analysis. Um, Are they too incompatible? The that, They're not- what? Well, it really certainly is a different emphasis. Well, I think th- I think they are. I mean, I think they are. If you, 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 you know, his piece was in War on the Rocks, this pre-war piece. People can Google it and, and, and look at it. It seems to me very much uh, emphasizing 
the the defensive considerations on Putin's part. No, it was just a national security guarding your national interest against what you fear may be someday a threat to your country. Uh, that's not imperialism. I mean, it's true that what looks like imperialism often begins like that. That's the whole problem. But <laughs> you know, uh, anyway, look, I don't want to. Or he could be he could be the imperialist looking for a legitimate reason. You know, and if one pops up, he's more likely to take it. And take offense and somebody who's not imperialistic. I mean, right? I mean, it I don't was, know. They, let me just say it was quite they, a different analytical emphasis. Okay. And okay. And, and of uh, course, we are now in an environment where, you know, it's almost like if you don't call it imperialism, you're expelled from the foreign policy establishment. I mean, uh what you wrote a piece be, saying but, this you yeah. you you just published a piece saying something was the blobs last secret. The blobs ultimate like blind spot. That was, yes. I, that was that was that yeah that was in today's non-zero newsletter. Thank you for the plug. Uh, quickly, and then I'll let you turn to issues. I didn't, I didn't read it. Bob. No, I didn't. And there's no reason anyone should I, go that I far. I knew I could count on you to give me a, a accurate pricey. This is why you show up every week, so you don't have to read my newsletter. Happy to oblige. No, that was actually among other things a piece that was very complimentary of the essence of Blob Journal Foreign Affairs because it did this whole. This it devoted like five essays in a single issue, you know, the physical issue, it's the cover story to what it called the non-aligned world. And it's it started as an attempt to understand, like, wait, why, why is so much of the world not with with us on this Ukraine thing? And relatedly, why does so much of the world not want to sign up on our side in the coming in the Cold War with China? And 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 a lot of them don't want to sign up on China's side either, but they don't want to sign up on our side. And so they went around to scholars from these areas and got them to write essays. And it was just, you know, this recurring theme. They were all saying, like, first of all, we have to secure our own national interest. And as for your moralistic appeals about Russia violating international law, blah, 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 they all said this rules-based order is bullshit. The U.S. violates rules all the time. They're hypocrites. They have sowed chaos that that has you know engulfed uh, northern Africa. The, the the guy from Africa said like half of the problems in Africa start with American interventions in the Middle East. Um, so anyway, the ultimate uh, the the point. I started out saying you know if you if you had to come up with a grand unified theory of what's wrong with U.S. foreign policy, it is the difficulty U.S. foreign policy elites seem to have understanding how people abroad view the world and view the U.S. and so on. And this is just a great example. And, and, and foreign affairs has really done a service. And, and they had another good piece on, on uh, the perils uh, of a war tribunal um, and how that could complicate bringing this war to a satisfactory end and avoiding nuclear war. It, it's weird. During the uh, town hall debate, we should, we should probably town, town, hall, town hall with Trump on CNN, uh, he was condemned by, I think it was, Senator Young, who said he he picked it out as the reason why he was abandoning Trump, that he wouldn't condemn Putin as a war criminal. And it seems to me that's probably not at the top of the list. Of th even if you're for Ukraine, why, that wouldn't be at the top of the list of my things that I would want the U.S. to do. Am I wrong about that? I, I think that kind of thing is probably an obsession of a fairly few number of people, including Jeffrey Goldberg and Ann Applebaum. And they hope Lorraine Powell jobs. I don't know if they succeeded. But um, 
Uh, yeah, no, I kind of agree. But I had heard, I didn't watch the town hall, but I had heard he also refused to say like whether he preferred that one side or the other prevail in the war. I don't, I don't understand uh, the political logic behind not just saying, well, yeah, well, why do you do that? Because Putin has the piss tape. Ah, you have a grand unified theory of your own, don't you? The P tape <laughs> theory. It explains everything. <laughs> no, he, I mean, he, he, he will not take the final step of of condemning Putin in some sort of, sort of ultimate or, or or public way, and I think that that creeps me out, you know. So uh, I think it. I think that the the town hall. Everybody's pissing on the town hall. Uh, first, it was it Trump sort of ate Caitlyn Collins alive. She asked these lame standard. You know, first the, the left didn't objected to them even having the town hall. So to compensate, I guess. They had Caden Collins ask these lame, backward-looking things about January 6th and the election, yeah. and Trump sort of took his tradition, doubled down. He took his traditional stand on the election and uh, and ate her alive, and the, the crowd, which was sort of obviously stacked with, with Trumpists, applauded. I think my so contrary that it's the conventional wisdom position is this actually hurts Trump because, sure, the people in the hall ate it up, but the reason the Democrats did so well in 2020 is because swing voters hated that shit. They hate the election denial. They hate the January 6th stuff. And Trump is now on record in public, you know, recently endorsing all that stuff. So those people are still going to be turned off by it. and It's going to hurt him with those voters. And I think it even hurts him maybe in in the primary, at least because the polls will start to show that he's not doing that well in the general and, and the electability argument will, will be revived. I mean, there was a recent poll in the Washington Post, I'm sure you saw, Washington Post ABC poll, mm-hmm. showed Trump six points ahead of Biden. Mm-hmm. Freaked everybody out, showed Biden at like 36 or 37 or 8 or 9% approval. It was way worse than other polls. And all of a sudden you heard talk that, that which I heard, that they were getting Michelle Obama ready in the wings uh, to run because Biden's not cutting it. and you know, the, the, you saw, you know, the, 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 if there is a deep state, it has a weapon to knock Biden out anytime it wants with this Hunter Biden stuff. Uh, it hasn't turned on him yet, but uh, I think he's going to show improvement in the coming polls because Trump has revealed that he hasn't changed. And pe- he had Trump had this perfect strategy, which is he runs to the left as the Sanus. He portrays himself as a bit of a statesman. Moderates could like him. He knows how to govern. He's protecting Social Security. Uh, you know, he's going to solve the Ukraine war. It's all sorts of forward-looking stuff that voters might be interested, especially voters in the middle. Um, and he sort of threw that out the window. Maybe it was a maybe it was a just a happy accident that Caitlin Collins asked these lame questions, but they they did the they they did that job anyway. Um, so, so wait, they did the job of. Nailing Trump down that he hasn't, mm. he's not a great statesman. He's hes still the same old Trump who thinks the election is stolen. He's going to repeat all this stuff yeah. that voters hate. He hasn't learned his lesson. Yeah. I mean, I think people assume that his position on the election is unchanged. I think everybody assumes that. But but I, I, I take your point that maybe there was some opportunity cost. If indeed there were these swing voters tuned in and there are things he could have said that would have won them over instead of the stuff that they could have predicted. Well, even if he thinks it, if he didn't say it, that does him good that he said it. That's, if he just keeps it to himself yeah. for a while. 
You know, Caitlin, let's talk about what the Trump presidency is going to be like. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, the part I saw, she seemed to be doing a pretty ineffectual job of pushing back on the election stuff. I was kind of thinking, you know, it would have been smart. Uh, it might have looked too much like ambush journalism. But but if she had had an audio of the call where he is saying to Rathensburger, whatever the guy's name is in Georgia, I just need you to find me X number of votes. Because, I mean, it would be easy to get him to basically deny he did that, right? You can get him to Trump to deny he did anything he's actually done. And I was thinking, of, they, they should have had him just walk into that and then bring out the, the audio. The, these these factual attempts tend to fail. I mean, he has a perfect defense of that, which is, you know, bef- I made it clear that these were votes that were legitimately cast for me that were unfairly denied me. And I wanted him to count in a, in a, mm. in a fair way. He, he, he thought he'd been robbed. Mm. Uh, what you, and he had, he had his lawyer on either before or after explaining why they thought they were robbed. I mean, it was it was clear from the context, context if not the undercurrent of thuggery, that uh, that you know he was trying to make a legitimate complaint. And what do you think about the uh, E. Jean Carroll uh, trial, where he's he's found liable for what sexual assault I don't think and that defamation? Has, I don't think that has much effect. It, it may you know I I can't speak for America's women. Who knows what these crazy chicks are up to? There was some evidence today that uh, that they actually were happy that Trump had had his comeuppance because he's such a pig. And it's possible that that this will, of course, I mean possible. anyone it's should be happy either, he got his comeuppance. But they knew he was guilty, so it's possible this will now satiate them, and they won't feel they have to take it out on him with the vote because he's been held accountable in public. It's not like they didn't. It's not like their eyes were open and they realized, oh my God, this guy's a horrible sexist pig. Uh, it's like, you know, everybody knows. No, I think, so. well, first of all, I mean, they is a pretty, it's doing a lot of work here. There's a lot of women in America, and I assume you can divide them uh, at least into women who will definitely vote against Trump, women who will definitely vote against for, uh, for him, and and, uh, and women who, who are gettable. And and those are the ones you care about, right? Um, but there, there, were, there, there was actually, you think there was a segment of women who were waiting on the verdict saying, this will tell me whether Trump is a. I'm asking a, a, you. you know, you're our, but, you're, no, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. And, you're our and they didn't race. find him guilty. And they didn't find him guilty of rape for some reason. They just found him guilty of sexual, what assault or battery or something. Sexual assault. Uh, yeah, it was the. Uh, it, it it was 30 years ago. You know, there's almost no way to prove at this point with absent photographs or witnesses or something what happened 30 years ago. Uh, it it just seems. It just seems like it's it's not going to be a big deal. I don't think the CNN town hall is going to be a big deal. None of this is going to be a big deal in the end. But uh, well, that's you know, what, it's, it's even less important, I think, than the CNN yeah. town hall. The uh, the 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 important thing may be that he hasn't driven DeSantis from the race. Okay, he that was obviously his goal. DeSantis is going to announce, I think, next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to raise a lot of money. He may be wasted, but. Uh, there was a video of DeSantis, you know, DeSantis' expectations for his personability and likability are now so low. <laughs> you know, he's, I like to say he's a social, social egalitarian. He hates everybody. He hates the rich. He hates the poor. He hates the donors. He hates the voters. Okay. He's, he's an equal treatment. You mean he, he has said unflattering things about all of them? He's clearly, he's clearly said, he clearly exudes contempt for his donors, some of his donors. And what, how does he do that? I, I, in, in, you know, 
he, how could he not have contempt for his donors? They're idiots. <laughs> I mean, they, <laughs> they, they, well, you know, they're, they're supporting Tim Scott. They're, 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 uh, you know, they think he should probably, wait, you mean you know, the donors who aren't his donors? You mean the donors of even his donors? I've been in a room full of his donors. Half of them are idiots. And you infer Half from this that good. he is saying bad things about them because you had uh, an unfavorable impression of them. I just you, you hear you read in Mark Halpern and Politico that he's famous that he's that he's he's been skeptical of his own donors. Um, mm. Trust me on this one. Okay. Uh, so uh, as anybody would be, but um, so but this tape of him came out performing a, a sort of a, a, a rehearsal for a debate with Matt Gates. Uh, who is not stupid, whatever you think of him, he's not stupid. And he well, said, Gates, I think you came in. Gates is playing Trump in the in the mock debate or what? No, Gates is just offering a critique. Okay. And someone mm-hmm. it's videoed and he said, and he said, you came in too hot. You can't come in so hot on that. And DeSantis gives a, a impassioned thing of why uh, it's okay to come in too hot. Kavanaugh showed that you, if you come in hot, you win. We've given in way too much to these people. Uh, you know, we shouldn't be defensive about it. And it's like, it's like Republican voters would eat that stuff up if they saw that DeSantis. It was supposedly leaked to, to trash him. Uh, it, it it didn't trash him. So if he he has he has nowhere to go but up in the likability personality uh, you know segment of the competition. Uh, so he so need, I, what I, you I think know, he I, needs to do is come in hot about coming in hot. That's what happened there. No, I just think he showed. I think it's it's a character that people sh- he showed genuine emotion. Mm. He wasn't faking it. No, well, he, he shows know? emotion all the time. He shows contempt and disdain and hatred for people all the time. He, he that's the way he is. This was not this was not showing contempt and disdain and hatred for people. This was this was refusing to back down in the face of he shows Matt that Gates's reasonableness. Um, anyway, it was he, he also he gave he's given a bunch of interviews. He hasn't given. As many interviews as say Ben Smith uh, has with his book, which is number seven hundred ninety one on Amazon, Bob. I thought I'd point that out. Is and it really? Wait, that's not a bestseller. That's not a Times. That doesn't get it on the Times list, right? Not, not even close, Bob. He's going to have to move into a smaller apartment. Well, closer than you'd think, because this is all books in the world, including a lot that you know. But 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 it, no, it doesn't get it on the list. Uh, I mean, uh, I think anyway, hundred gets the, it on the Times list, but but DeSantis has been DeSantis has been giving interviews, and he gave an inter- interesting interview about Disney. I didn't quite buy it because he clearly has retaliated against Disney because they lobbied. On the other hand, mm-hmm. he he made like an eighty percent convincing case. Uh, one point was a legal point, which is this Reedy Creek board that he he has taken over, which is the board that Disney controlled that control mm-hmm. the theme park is technically different than Disney. Disney goes to elaborate lengths to say, this isn't Disney. This is the Reedy Creek board. So if DeSantis retaliates against the Reedy Creek board, then how does Disney make the jump and say, they're really retaliating against Disney when they've made a big point about how this board isn't Disney. So there's like a technical legal point he made that I hadn't thought of. He pointed out what's pointed out in a very good slate article on Disney, which is when they set up this thing, they promised that Epcot, this city of the future, was actually going to have residents in it. And they were setting up this board so it would have residents. And then they, Walt Disney decided, no, we don't want residents because they might outvote us. Then they had very few residents. So it was all founded on a lie. But the ultimate thing that, that it made me think of is, isn't this just the give and take of democracy? I mean, you, Bob Wright, don't support my bill. and I'm not going to support your bill. I'm going to fuck you. 
Okay, that's how that's how well, politics no, but- works. You support me, I'm going to reward you. So Disney weighs in as a lobbyist, saying we don't like this bill. And DeSantis says, "Fuck you, I'm going to fuck you six ways to Sunday." That's democracy. That's log rolling. It's the opposite no, of log rolling. No, I think. I mean, I don't know the facts of the case, but I know the way it's being presented by people who disagree with you on this and hate DeSantis, and they're saying Disney exercised its First Amendment rights by expressing an opinion on one of the governor's policies, and the governor chose to use his political power to retaliate against the corporation. Uh, and God knows if, if he did that to an individual citizen, you certainly wouldn't defend it, right? If he if he had a zoning law change to fuck over some guy who criticized the policy of his, you would definitely see the problem with that. Well, that's the argument these people are making, okay? It's, it's not legitimate, and I agree, basically. If, if it is, in, in fact, true that he, in some meaningful sense, retaliated, uh, and use the instruments of power to pursue a policy to Disney's disadvantage that he would not have otherwise pursued if he weren't pissed off at them. If he did that, I disapprove. That's bad. Of course it's bad. It's sort of, it's, it, it's weird. If you carry the, you shall never be punished for your beliefs thing too far, you throw democracy out the window. So you have to. Wait, 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 wait. Elaborate, elaborate. If you don't allow oh, politicians to if, use if, their if power. Your national, your national security advisor speaks out in favor of nuclear war and you retaliate against him, that's democracy in action. You Mickey, weren't elected to have a nuclear war. Mickey, that guy works for you. You mean if the president says tells his national security advisor to shut You've up? Obviously never, you obviously never read a case called Elrod v. Burns, which says that the spoil system is unconstitutional because you're punishing Fed workers for their speech. So you can't throw out all the Republicans when a Democrat takes over because you'd be publishing them for their speech. And the counter argument to that, which the court never considers, is we live in a democracy. And the whole idea of voting in the Democrats is to vote out the Republicans, punish them for their views. We don't like their views. We, the majority of voters. So at some point, the democracy principle counteracts this individual rights principle. And probably the only way to to, to deal with it is to have some sort of, uh, you know, uh, I- law of etiquette, which is, you know, don't don't. Don't retaliate too obviously, and don't throw your weight around you obviously. Um, I, I, I I I don't think I don't want to spend time trying to convince okay. you that your argument doesn't hold up. But I'm pretty sure if I had time to think about it, the idea of applying what, whatever benefits you think patronage has, the idea of saying they are the reason Ron DeSantis should be able to punish Disneyland, I think just makes no fucking sense. But it's. Uh, my point is that the, the, the courts tend, and I'm, you know, the courts. I think we talked about this last week. The courts tend to take this First Amendment. I can never punish uh, uh, punish people for their speech formality too far, and they never consider the countervailing democracy principle. Mickey, um, fill in this blank. Here's another quiz. Wall Street Journal headline: Tucker Carlson's Twitter show complicates Elon Musk's bid to win blank. What is in the blank, Mickey? Well, it, it it certainly complicates his bid to win over the left. I mean, I, I like I said, I talked to left wing people; they have a legitimate beef. Musk <laughs> said, Incorrect. "Musk said, advertisers." Musk said, "Exactly, you got it. That's is, good. Is it, that's good. Win well, that's back the advertisers." I'm giving you the answer I want, which is, uh, which is, uh, you know, Musk said your Twitter feed should be fifty fifty left right. We've designed the algorithm now, so it's. And that's just too much for the left. It's too much for the right, too. Nobody wants to see 50% of their tweet, snarky tweets from people they hate. 
he should settle for 20%. Okay, mm -hmm. that would be a huge improvement over the old Twitter. It would be a puncturing of your cocoon. But 50% is too much. So he's pissed off the left, and he has to do something to win them back if he wants a viable company. Instead, he's hired this uh, advertising woman who's going to try, who has incredible contacts. As CEO, as to replace him as CEO. But he's going to still be the chief technical officer, I believe. So he's not giving up his role. You know, he may turn out to be the chief in other senses as well, I'm guessing. But right. I think that's probably right. But uh, he, he's going to feed with her. He's also going to feed with Tucker. So it's not, I wouldn't say Tucker is there forever. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's there until Tucker denounces China and China says, Elon, you have a big factory in China. I don't think you oh, want to have this guy. You. you know what that is, Mickey? Oh. That's the alarm going off? That's the alarm going off. Good grief. I know. We've only, we're only just warming up. I know. We're just, I know. Well, that's why we always save the, the best for the parrot room. But you know what we forgot to do? Uh, I had said that I think we should get in the habit of doing what all the pros do on their podcast, which is imploring people to smash the like button if they're watching on YouTube. And if they're not, then maybe think about rating and reviewing, assuming they like us. Or actually, I mean, they don't favor. have to like us. What? That would be a huge favor. You know, it's true, actually, that smashing the like button does feed the, the Google, the YouTube algorithm. It gives us, uh, it expands the audience. That gives us positive reinforcement. That means we may uh, continue doing this uh, long after wiser people would have retired, which is, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago. Um, and so if people enjoy the spectacle of, of, of two guys who should have retired not retiring, they should <laughs> smash, smash the like button. I Probably we should mention this before we say we're signing off, right? Because now they're, if they do like us, now they're pissed off that we're leaving them, right? They're in a bad well, I can talk about I can talk about one more thing, and then, I'll, of course, I'll talk about it uh, more in the okay. room. Okay, okay. Well, well, today was the day that when the all hell was supposed to break loose on the border because they've lifted this, this Title 42 exclusion authority, right? Uh, which Biden had in, used in increasing number of cases, but he'd used it, expired, and and so uh, and it ha doesn't seem to have happened. Now there were record people number of people coming in, one hundred ten thousand a day. That's three million over, th you know, about over th well over three million a year, almost four million a year. That's a lot of people a lot. coming in. And if Biden lets them all in, that's a big addition to the U.S. population. Perhaps not wildly welcome in some quarters. And uh, uh, so, but but there hasn't been a big explosion today. In fact, they seem to be holding back today. And there, there, there are various theories as to why it, that might be happening, but it could also be just brilliant PR by the Biden administration. They know all the networks have their people deployed on the border waiting for this big surge. And if it doesn't happen, the people are going to go back and then they could have the big surge and there'll be nobody there to notice. So, uh, you know, th that, that, th that would be um, very, very clever strategy, and you know, maybe they get the Mexicans involved. They're they're obviously colluding with the Mexicans. That's been proven. Uh, me with the Mexican government. The Mexicans say, "Okay, you know, here you group of a thousand can come now." They collude in a crypto encoded chat room, Bob, uh, and uh, and 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 then when those thousands have been absorbed, they send another thousand, and another thousand mm -hmm. they lead them to the border. So we're colluding with at least local Mexican authorities on the other side of the border. And maybe we said, you know, why don't you hold off on Friday and Saturday? So the media goes away and then you can let them all in again. Uh, 
Anyway. Okay. I think that's enough paranoia. And they call me paranoid. And they, all right. And they call you paranoid. I call you paranoid. Um, the, uh, I said, that's probably enough, uh, uh, parrot room immigration bait folks. There's even more about immigration in the parrot room at patreon.com slash parrot room. Not at the very beginning. You're going to have to, you're going to have to endure some other stuff. Uh, quickly, I want to say last time I said, uh, have you heard Robert F. Kennedy talk? Sound like there's something wrong with his voice. Maybe he was sick. Turns out there is. He has a, a kind of dystonia, I guess. Maybe I can find the actual name of it. But in any event, uh, a couple of people pointed that out to me on Twitter. Uh, so there's an explanation. I got to say, I mean, it's a terrible fact that things like this can be decisive. But I really think uh, this uh, very much limits his upward movement in the polls. It's just it's 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 you know, it's not fair. Um, it's not fair that uh, shorter people are at a di political disadvantage when they debate taller people. Uh, but, um, but, but have you heard it? Have you heard him talk? He was on the all. I haven't podcast. heard this. He was, he was, I, the, the, he was, really? uh, yeah. Last week they did a long thing interview. And the thing is, the more I listen to him, the more I think he could in principle do. Okay. I mean, okay. He said some things, you know, that he'd have to, uh, finesse maybe, but, uh, on vaccines and so on. But I just mean, you know he's, but but I, I honestly think the voice is a killer uh, politically. I'm I'm I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's reality. But I really think it is. It's, uh, so anyway. If, uh, if what if if Biden's demeanor isn't a killer, I don't think the voice will be a killer. Maybe you I'm got wrong. no. You should listen. You should listen. No, look. As I you know, I also think I also think Biden is dead in the water. I mean, I'm very concerned about that too. But the but but this is in a certain sense more problematic well, what do you think about michelle uh, she's got my vote i guess just because she'd have a better chance of winning i don't know much about her she's kind of a blank slate to me but um uh, that's her virtue i believe but you're the only one who thinks she might wind up running right no there there were rumors rampant that okay well, wait, 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 wait we'll talk about it in the parent room we'll talk about michelle in the parent okay. room okay okay gotta go thanks for watching don't folks. call me paranoid Last thing, last thing I'd ever do.